Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we are often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillavillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Um, what a gift to us that you have given us your word that we might know how you have described yourself what you say about yourself, so that we can worship you, not only in spirit, but also in truth. And so we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you will quicken our minds, help us to um, be alert to the things that you're speaking to us. Um, We pray that you would um, take away all distractions and um, any lies of the enemy, that you would uh, silence those lies that you would um, instead give us your truth. And so we uh, believe this to be true, that you will do this for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we're starting a series this summer, starting today, on the Word of God, and um, there's a few interruptions that we will have, but... For the most part, we're going to be looking at the importance of the Word of God. And I always like, um, like I think we know that here, but to know it here, we almost have to hear the stories behind it. And one of the stories that I love the most is the story of King Josiah. And uh, if you know King Josiah at all, you know that he discovered the Word of God. But... um, So often when we hear about Josiah, that's all we really hear is that he discovered the word of God in the temple. And actually, there's much more to the story, to the background. And so we're going to do some of the background that opens up why this was like so shocking, so significant, and how in the world it is that the word was kind of lost in the first place. And I think as I speak that um, I'm hoping that you will see parallels to our own culture where we live. And one of the things that I'm reminded of is that, um, you know, we pray for revival. We pray for revival in Canada. We know that Canada has drifted away from the Lord from its earlier roots, and so we pray that people will come back. But history tells us that um, every great revival is preceded by a love for the word of God and a resurgence of God's people, not just knowing, but practicing the word of God. And so um, we really are going to see that in Josiah's life. So uh, George Whitfield in England started with just simple preaching of the word of God and people just went on fire and it just spread throughout England and out of that came the great missionary movement that spread the word throughout the world. Um, Same thing in North America, it was Jonathan Edwards. So his love for the word of God and he just got on horseback and went around from town to town preaching the word and um, God 
by his spirit stirred in people's hearts. And so that's what we pray for in Canada. It's not too late for Canada to worship the Lord, to love the Lord, to live righteously before the Lord. And so we pray for that kind of revival here. So our story starts with actually, um, well, Josiah's in in 2 Kings chapter 22, but our story today starts with 21. And all these um, time frames are given because it's an actual historical account. This isn't just like a tall tale. It isn't just sort of like, oh, this this is kind of a good story. It's actually history. It's it's actually um, true happenings that happened. And so um, we're going to open with Manasseh, King Manasseh. So by now, it's been a while since the um, division between the northern and the southern kingdom, and we're uh, focusing on the southern kingdom. And Manasseh was born to good King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, and he brought lots of um, good things to Israel. And uh, towards the end of his um, reign... For 11 years, he co-reigned with his son, Manasseh. And when Hezekiah died, Manasseh became the sole monarchy. And uh, he was nothing like his father. So I'm reading from chapter 21 of 2 Kings. And I'm just going to read through um, this and talk about Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old, so he was just a lad when he became king, and he reigned for 55 years. Well, a lot of people in this room aren't even 55 years old, so that's quite a long reign for a king. How how many is uh, Queen Elizabeth up to? 60 what? Just 60? No, 60-something, isn't it? Didn't she have her... What is the matter with us? She is our queen. Anyway... Long, almost as long as Queen Elizabeth, and most of us don't know anything before that. Okay, so he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Who lived in the land before Israel lived there? What was their name? Starts with a C. The Canaanites, that's exactly right. And the Canaanites, um, they just were a very wicked group of people. And the Lord actually gave them 400 years to repent, and they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So finally, Israel um, comes in. And so what this scripture is telling us is that Manasseh's reign was even worse than what those Canaanites were like, that the Lord dispossessed the land from them. Manasseh rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So the people of Israel kept going back into idolatry, and Hezekiah had cleaned a lot of that up. Um, But he rebuilt it. Manasseh rebuilt it. He erected altars for Baal. He made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. So I just want, you know, that's a quick read. But I'm going to tell you what those high places were like. Those high places were on top of the mountains. And it was sort of like a clearing on top of the high hills and um, the high places, especially around Jerusalem. It's very mountainous around Jerusalem. And they would go up there and they would worship the Baal. 
So Baal was um, like sort of the supreme God in their view, not the God of Israel, not the Lord God Jehovah. And Baal was worshipped by the Canaanites and by the other people groups that lived there. And so Israel had adopted this idolatry, and they had become like their culture around them. Instead of influencing the culture, they were influenced by the culture. Sound familiar? And so um, they started worshiping Baal, and they did this in these high places. And they were all over the place because it's very mountainous throughout Israel. So this was not just right around Jerusalem. It was all over Judah and into the north country as well. And so on those high places, they would have um, altars, and they would do blood sacrifices there. But they would also have these tents set up for the male and female prostitutes. And so the whole idea is it's not prostitution like we know it, where, you know, it's a secret hidden thing. This was out in the open, and it was considered to be part of their religious practices. So you would have this, you know, higher sort of experience in these temples or in these tents with these um, prostitutes, and they were paid for it, so there's, you know, always money involved. And so that's what went on in the high places. So when you read in the scripture about the high places, this is the kind of stuff that's going on. And um, a lot of this stuff, we, we think, well, it's in the Bible, you know, it, it, it can't be that bad. It was like way worse than what we're experiencing here. And so um, uh, he had um, rebuilt these places. He erected the altars of Baal and he made an Asherah. So Asherah is the consort or the um, wife of Baal, and so she represented the goddess of fertility. And so you can imagine, as soon as you have Baal and Asherah together and you're worshipping fertility, all the wicked practices, the licentiousness, the um, licentious dancing that went along with this, and then how it would devolve um, into orgies. And so that's the stuff that was going on. And he did it just like Ahab, king of Israel. Now, the reason that it's identified with Ahab, king of Israel, is because Ahab, even though the people were idolatrous, Ahab, as the king of Israel, the north, he introduced it as the official state religion. So now everybody in Israel, if you're going to worship, you're going to worship Baal. And remember... Israel is a theocracy. It was built on the principles of coming to love God and worship him, and all their laws really um, reinforce that. And so to now bring in this other religion officially is like over the top for the king to do this. And Manasseh is equated with Ahab in the north. Manasseh did this in the south. So though they had idolatry, it wasn't sort of the official practice, and now it is. And so um, he did just like Ahab did, and they worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. So the host of heaven is not God in heaven. The host of heaven here are the heavenly hosts like the sun and the moon and the stars. So essentially, they were worshipping the zodiac and doing the things that are associated with the zodiac, which includes the horoscopes. Now think about this. What is in every single newspaper every single day in North America? Horoscopes. And people read them, and some people read them very seriously, 
I have uh, a, a close acquaintance who reads it religiously every day, always will ask any new person she meets, what is your sign, meaning your zodiac sign, so that she can figure out what kind of personality you have and how you're going to relate to her. And so this is a, a strong belief. And then others who just read it thinking it's funny, you know, honestly, I don't see anything funny about any of the practices of the evil one. And so um, they're not benign. And this is what happened to Israel. Oh, well, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it's not long before all these little bits take us away from the heart of God. And that's what had happened here um, in Jerusalem. And they built altars, not just all over the place, but in the actual temple that Solomon built, the big temple, the golden temple, that Solomon built, they brought altars into that temple, into the house of the Lord, on which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. Jerusalem is not like any other city on the planet. I don't know if you knew that from watching the news, but Jerusalem is different and always was different. And what makes Jerusalem separate from all other cities in the entire world that ever have been or ever will be, is it's the only city where God has placed his name. And so for them to do this in the holy city Jerusalem is an abomination of the worst. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So the inner court and the outer court, or the women's court, um, he built these altars. And he made his son pass through the fire, so that's what I was referring to earlier. This is where he sacrificed, Manasseh sacrificed um, his son in the fire. And he practiced witchcraft. Do you think that's on the rise in North America? Very much so. He used divination, so that's like fortune telling, wanting to know what's happening in the future. Um, he dealt with mediums. Those are people who connect with the dead, who um, you know bring people together to talk to their dead loved ones or dead people, and spiritists. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. Then he set the carved image of Asherah. Remember I said this is the goddess of fertility, so you can imagine what it kind of looked like, that he had made, and he put it in the house of the Lord, um, of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers. If only they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Now remember, the Canaanites didn't have the temple of God. Israel did, and yet they were worse. So they were evil in every way. And when a nation has got the word of God, has got the practices of God, and then turns away, it's even worse than those who never had it in the first place. That should give us pause to ponder. So um, the Lord is going to call them on this. 
And he spoke to his um, servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him, and also made Judah sin with his idols, therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, so completely cleaning it out. And I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become as plunder and spoil to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight and have been provoking me to anger since the day their fathers came from Egypt, even to this day. So even though they had good kings and for a while the good kings would be able to sort of sway the people to follow after, with all the kings they had after David, they only had eight good kings, and that was all in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom didn't have any. So um, the people just constantly were idolatrous. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other because his sins with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now that innocent blood, um, just for us to understand, means the prophets of God. That's what it's a reference to. So the prophets of God were killed by Manasseh because why? He doesn't want to hear what they have to say, and he doesn't want the people to hear what they have to say. And so he's responsible for the death of the prophets of God who brought the word of God. And do you know who we think is responsible, that he's responsible for the death of? Isaiah. In Hebrews 11, it's telling us all these different things that happened to the saints. One of them, do you remember the part? Where And they were sawn in two. The thought is that was Isaiah in the days of Manasseh. And it's a pretty credible um, traditional historical reference. Although, you know, we don't read that specifically in the word. So um, he shed much innocent blood in his day. And the Lord warns him with these prophets. That's why he raises these prophets up. And he tells them this is what's going to happen. And um, he does not listen. Now, I want us to turn over to um, Chronicles and Kings kind of go together. So Kings was written before and then Chronicles later after the return from Babylon. And so Second uh, Chronicles is a recounting of the, the history that is already in Second um, Kings. The only difference is that, it, you know, some of it's a little bit different, adds a little bit more, but also um, focuses on Judah, not on all the other kings. And so um, Second Chronicles should always be read when you're also reading um, the kings. So turn to chapter 33 of Second Chronicles, and um, it's in this chapter that we read about Manasseh and what he did and his wickedness. And, um, but it's Chronicles, actually, that tells us, not kings, that tells us what happened to Manasseh at the end of his life. And this is the really cool thing. So Manasseh lived in the days of the Assyrians being the major empire. And the Assyrians had a practice 
of when they conquered a place, they would take the king off into captivity. Only they didn't sort of, sort of you know, have a spear behind them and make him walk. They actually put them out um, horizontally and um, carried them with a hook in their, through their um, mouth and nose, and then their feet suspended. That's how they would cart them off. I don't know how they get all the way back like that, so maybe it's only for a short period, but the idea is the shame of it and that they are completely defeated. And this is what happened to Manasseh. Like the story so far? <laughs> the Bible tells us what actually happens, but there's always there's sin and then there's redemption. And so we're always looking for redemption and restoration because that's the hand of God. And so as we see the wickedness of man and what mankind has done, we have hope because there's going to be redemption coming. But we've got to get through this part first. And so um, Manasseh's carted off to Assyria. And believe it or not, and it's been many, many years of this evil, this wickedness, this following after these um, spiritists and these mediums and this idolatry and all the idolatrous practices that go with it, and here he is, the very thing that the prophets said would happen, happened to him. And so he's carted off to Assyria. And Assyria is no small threat because they've already come in and they've already wiped out the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, we don't see it again. And so they're a serious threat to Judah. And in Hezekiah's day, they came down and tried to attack. And Hezekiah went before the Lord and the Lord delivered them from Assyria. So now in Manasseh's day, the threat is serious again that the Assyrians will come down and take over um, Judah. And so when he's carted off, that probably means that's it for Judah. And when he gets into, um, they, t they actually cart him off to Babylon, although it's the Assyrian Empire, which their capital is Nineveh. But he's carted off to Babylon, which is one of their holdings. And um, it's in Babylon that Manasseh repents. And it says that he recognized his evil and he knew what he had done was totally an abomination before the Lord and it says that he repents of it which means he doesn't just say oh I'm really sorry about this he actually changes his way and he turns from that wickedness to following after the Lord God and um, he repents and he cries out before the Lord and the Lord has mercy on him and he restores him back to Jerusalem. This is like amazing because usually once they're carted off, that's it. You're not going to see them again. And so the Lord restores him to Jerusalem. He comes back as the king of Jerusalem and it's in Jerusalem that he then um, cleans out a lot of the stuff that he had done. So not everything, but in the few short years that he had left, and we don't know exactly how many years, but in that little bit of time that he had left, he started with um, getting rid of stuff. And um, there's some very cool things that happened when that happened. But um, he dies, and um, his son Ammon takes over. But we're going to see in a minute that Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. And Ammon reigned for two years, which means that Josiah lived for six years before Manasseh died. And it's in those six years somewhere that Manasseh repented and returned to the Lord. 
And if you think that your background is so terrible, the Lord can't use you, think about Josiah. Because his grandfather was the wicked Manasseh. And his father is going to be worse than Manasseh. And for two years, Ammon reigns. And he's so bad. Now remember, they've had Manasseh. Now they have Ammon for two years, and they hate him so much that his own servants, probably um, his army people, rise up, and there's a coup, and they kill him. He only lasts for two years, and he's assassinated by his own people. And then, um, you know, that's when a country devolves into chaos, is when things like that happen. And instead of letting this coup take place, or you know, even possibly civil war, we have those servants that killed him, they're put to death by the sword, and the people of Judah make Josiah the king, this little eight-year-old. He's eight years old, and he's got to rule this unruly people. And so he has quite the task before him. So um, think of, um, you know, his background. He's got Manasseh, as his grandfather, he lived in his formative years, still under Manasseh's reign, and there's still all this stuff, like Manasseh did not clear it out completely by any means, and uh, then his father Ammon restores all the stuff that even Manasseh had removed, um, and the die is cast, like here it is, but God has his people, he always has his faithful ones, and the question is, are you one of God's faithful ones? Are you going to be one of the people that, yes, the Lord is my God, and I will follow him no matter what my culture is doing, because the Lord always does have his people. And so the question is, are you going to be one of them? And so um, Josiah um, for sure is. And we see, um, so chapter 22 of um, going back to Kings, we're back to Kings. Hang on a sec. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And in other words, he's from the tribe of Judah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father the restored Manasseh, the repentant Manasseh, no. Hezekiah, who wasn't, you know, he was a pretty good king, his great-grandfather, no. It goes all the way back to his father, David. Wow. David is no small nothingness. David is the king of Israel to which the Lord Jesus says that he is a son of David because David had a heart for God. And he had a heart that followed after God in all his ways. And even though he stumbled, yes, he fell, but always he repented. That's the true heart. It's not the person who lives perfectly. It's the person who, even in stumbling, returns to the Lord and repents and has a heart after God. And David, we see, has this wonderful love for the word of God. Read Psalm 119. He just goes on and on and on about how wonderful the word of God is. Why? 
because it's just such a well-written piece of literature? No, because it's the very words of God. And we live in a time, it has not always been like this, it's only been like this in these last few hundred years, where the Bible is in our own language. And not only that, in this last hundred years, where pretty well everybody has a Bible, and if they don't have one, they have easy access to one, even on their phone. Like, we have such easy access to the Word of God compared to most of all of history. And what do we do with it? What do we do with it? How well do we know it? How much is it hidden in our hearts that we would not sin against the Lord? Because that's the only way to keep from sinning, is to have his, his Word written on our hearts. And so Josiah was like his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. And so uh, that's what defined him and what defines you. A lover of righteousness, a lover of goodness, a lover of the Lord God, a lover of justice. Do you have the mind of God? Do you try to think the way that he has taught us to think, to have our minds renewed by the washing of his word? These are all things that would describe Josiah and also described his father, David. So now looking at the timeline, and this is where we really want to have this timeline with Josiah, because what influenced Josiah? What caused him to turn to the Lord? Because um, the word of the Lord has been lost by now. It was lost in uh, probably the days of Manasseh, when they, you know, they took sort of all the good stuff of worshiping God, either reused it for evil or put it away in the back rooms and the storage rooms, and they brought in all the stuff for the worship of Baal and of the Asherah. And so um, the word of God has been lost to these people, and exactly what they're doing now without the word of God, I'm not exactly sure, but they won't be doing it the way that God has ascribed for them. 640 B.C. is when Josiah's reign starts, but look back to 650. Do you see that? Go back to 650, which is 10 years earlier. What prophet starts to prophesy in Manasseh's day? Nahum. Nahum does. So what are we going to do? We're going to turn to the book of Nahum. And Nahum is one of the minor prophets, and I just want to read one verse, so if you can't find it fast, forget it. <laughs> I'm going to read Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. Now, Nahum was a prophet that was raised by God in 650 B.C., but his prophecy was essentially to Assyria because he's warning Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, that their days are numbered. And remember the prophet Jonah? He went to Nineveh and they repented. Well, now they've turned back to their evil ways and they're being warned again. Does God care about the Gentile nations? Yes, he does. And so Nahum is raised up, and he proclaims actual judgment on Nineveh. So that means it's over. It's not a warning anymore. It's coming. And uh, he says, the Lord is slow to anger. He sent, him, they, he sent prophets before to this ungodly nation, i.e. Jonah and others. And the Lord is slow to anger. He doesn't come like that, and you know, you do something wrong, and you're zapped with lightning. That's not how the Lord operates because his heart is that we will repent. And so the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. 
and that's guilty Nineveh in this case. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. I love the poetical nature that the prophets speak in. And so Nahum gives this prophecy, and he starts his prophecy, and there's, there's more to his prophecy, but it doesn't just mean that he only said these things. Usually it means there's other prophecies that were also spoken in the time that are pertinent to Manasseh. And I wonder if Nahum's preaching isn't what helped turn the heart of Manasseh at the end of his life. And uh, he prophesied all through Ammon's years. So, I mean, his life would have been threatened in those years for sure. And um, into Josiah's time. So Josiah is also hearing the prophet um, Nahum. And so the word of God is an influencer. It's actually powerful. The word of God is not just literature. It's actually spoken, inspired words from God himself. And that sets it apart from every other kind of writing in the world. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's full of teaching us about who the Lord is, who we are, what he expects from us, what he sees when he looks on us. All these things are in here. Plus, you know, so much about our history and what happened before and what happened to those people. And so the word of God is influential. And this is why it's so important that it be in our hearts, that we be influenced by the word of God, but also that we be influencers in our generation to bring people to a place of righteousness. What a great thing to be given that task. And so um, in 2 Chronicles, we're going to flip back to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, which is um, about Josiah. And it tells us there in verses 1 and 2, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So how old is he going to be when he, his reign is done? 39, exactly. And he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So it says the same thing essentially as um, in Second Kings. He's going to be 12 years old. In the eighth year of his reign, or sorry, um, 16 years old. When he's 12 years old, I want to go back to that timeline because this skips over this part. It doesn't tell us this part in the scripture, but if you look at the timeline, what prophet came next? Like in the days of Nahum, but when he's 12. Can you see it? Zephaniah and Huldah. Zephaniah, Huldah doesn't have a book in the Word, although she's brought up in um, these scriptures that we're going to look at, but Zephaniah does have a book. And so... Um, I want us to look at what it says in Zephaniah as well. Um, oh, yeah, I want to look at Zephaniah. Zephaniah is, I always think of the Z's as kind of being together at the end of all the prophets. And Zephaniah, when he prophesied, um, the word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gadaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. Huh. In the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And um, he prophesies the day of the Lord, and he prophesies that um, uh, destruction is going to come. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, 
and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And remember what he said about Jerusalem? The city where I place my name. This was so strong in their thinking that they thought, there's no way the Lord will ever destroy Jerusalem. And here is Zephaniah giving the warning that this very thing is going to happen. And so um, the word of God influenced Josiah. We see in Second Chronicles chapter um, 34 still, for in the eighth year, now he's 16 of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. What is causing this? It's the spirit moving within him, but also these prophets that are raised up that are speaking the word of God. And in the twelfth year, that's when he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So those are those hills that we talked about. The ashram, the carved images, the molten images, that's the gold and silver ones. And they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars that were high above them. He chopped down also the ashram, the carved images, the molten images. He broke in pieces. He ground them to powder. It sounds like Moses with the golden calf. And he scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. That's the, um, the priests of Baal on their altars, the altars to Baal and purged Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali, that's way up in the north end, like that's way beyond the border of his kingdom. He's gone all the way up to Naphtali into their surrounding uh, ruins. He also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars, like the prayer places, throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So it goes on to tell us that he actually went up to where King Jeroboam, right after the days of Solomon, set up those golden calf um, images again so that the people wouldn't go to Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, to worship. They would worship there in Bethel and Dan up in the north. And he goes to Bethel and he goes to Dan and he destroys those altars and those golden calves. And he also digs up the bones of the priests of Baal, and he burns them on the altar. Like, this is a guy who is very, very thorough, and he's going to get it all. And so um, he completely purges from all of this idolatry, and he turns the heart of the people back to the Lord. And um, when he's 20 years old, the Lord raises up another prophet, and that would be the prophet Jeremiah. And it says at the beginning of Jeremiah that he too is a young man and that in the days of Josiah, the Lord raised up Jeremiah to prophesy. This is like just, I just think it's so exciting to see how God uses ordinary people. Look at what Jeremiah says. I just, we just have to look. We have to look at what Jeremiah says because he doesn't want to do it. He just thinks, you know, I'm just a kid. And he says, um, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Jeremiah 1.4. Um, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, 
do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, the people who are against him. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, because he's a prophet, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow. But here's the promise, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The Lord watches over his word to perform it. And everything that he says will happen. He says he's coming again. That is a given. Our hope is not like, I hope it might happen. It's a certain hope, which means it for sure is going to happen, and we look forward to it. We know that these things will happen. And so um, the word of God comes to Josiah. He cleans out um, the whole place. He restores the temple in his 18th year of his reign. So he's 26 years old. And um, he totally turns Israel back to following after God. And you know what the Lord says to him? These things are still going to happen. Jerusalem is still going to be destroyed. I am still going to pluck out of Jerusalem my remnant. And by now, Jeremiah is prophesying all about Babylon, because Babylon is the next kingdom, and is saying that these things are going to happen by the hand of Babylon. But the Lord says, Josiah, not in your day, because I have delayed this because you have returned to the Lord and you have returned my people to the Lord. And you know what happened during those last days of Josiah's reign? Young Daniel is born. The prophet Daniel is born in those last 10 years of Josiah's reign. So in this great revival, we have Daniel who was born and God is going to use Daniel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah will stay in Jerusalem. Daniel will be carted off to Babylon. And both of them will be used so strongly by the Lord to turn the people's heart to God. And, you know, the story of Daniel is an amazing story, but it has its roots in the revival under King Josiah. Do you know that you could be like King Josiah? Do you know that God can use anyone he doesn't have to have somebody who is the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada or the head of some CEO of a big important company. Jeremiah was a youth from a place where the prophets had been banished to south of Jerusalem. He was in a nothing town, little town, where he was banished to because he's part of the prophet family. And yet God said, Jeremiah, I'm using you. And Josiah was born to a wicked, wicked father and a wicked grandfather. And the Lord said, Josiah, I'm using you because my word, I watch over it to perform it. That to me is like, wow. Don't we want to know what this word of God says? Don't we want to have this hidden in our heart? Because he says that he watches over his word to perform it. 
And these are some of the things that I learned from the story of Josiah, and I, I'm sure that you've learned other things and, and things as well. But he not only heard the word, he actually, he actually acted on it. He practiced the word. How well do you know the word? You can't practice what you don't know. And then do you put it into practice? And he repented, but repentance requires obedience. If obedience doesn't follow, then it's just a mere, you know, oh, I'm sorry about that. That's what we call worldly sorrow. Repentance means that we turn around and now we obey the Lord. And the consequences of sin, they're not always removed, but God always gives us grace through it. Always, 100% of the time, he will give us grace. So he sends his people in timely ways, and the impact of the word of God not only impacts a life, it can impact a nation. Do you believe that Canada can be impacted by the word of God? Do you? Are you going to know the word of God well enough that you could be maybe a Jeremiah, a Josiah? Who knows? Or maybe people will never know your name because the scriptures are written now. So your name's not going to go in there, but you know where your name does go? It's one, first of all, in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's also the Book of Deeds. God remembers, and he knows those who are his. And he's calling every single one of us to be completely committed to him and to his word. And I want to be one of those people. How about you? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is true in its every um, little piece, every dot, every tittle, every part of it. You have said that you have inspired these words, that these are words from your mouth, and that you will watch over your word to perform it. And Lord, I pray that you will use us as your instruments, both individually but as a church, as a body, that you will use us to influence our community, our province, and even our nation and the world around us. That can happen, not because of anything that's in us, but because your word is strong and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and you will cut into our culture and cut out that which is evil and raise up that which is good. If only, Lord, if only we will return to your word, I pray that we might lead the way in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities both locally and abroad, and for all ages. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served, children's church and child care are available.